0: Amen. All right, take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the book of Jeremiah, the Old Testament prophet of Jeremiah. And uh, we uh, look this morning at, at this Old Testament passage and there's so much relevance in what go- went on uh, in the Old Testament as to what's going on and uh, gone on in the new and now in the church age. Uh, and so when we look here this morning, consider um, you know, there are a lot of things that are going on in, our, in, a, in the world right now with the pandemic. There are a lot of things going on in our country. Uh, things that uh, really, you know, I think as the message bears out this morning, we'll see some similarities. But I say this, uh, that what we're facing today is nothing new. And the Bible tells us that there's nothing new under the sun. It may take on a different look, but it's still the same uh, problem of, of sin and what sin leads to. Uh, and it's, a, it's cyclic. It's just a cycle that continually repeats itself. It's been repeating itself since the Garden of Eden, uh, and it will continue to repeat itself until the Lord returns. And so we're going to look at some of those thoughts this morning. Uh, Jeremiah chapter number 16. Jeremiah chapter 16 begins with Jeremiah giving a sign to the nation of Israel. Uh, And the form of him being an unmarried prophet. In other words, God had told him not to marry, you'll not marry, uh, you'll not have children in this place. Uh, Jeremiah, in fact, lived uh, for the Lord and preached uh, all throughout this time. Jeremiah is one prophet in the Old Testament that if you look from just a human standpoint, uh, you would say he never succeeded in that. He never had one convert. He never had one person that followed the message that he preached. That's not because he was ineffective. Uh, The truth of the matter is is that the Word of God uh, has an effect wherever it's preached, wherever it's given. And that effect, generally speaking, is twofold. It's either going to cause people to double down and to harden themselves in their sin, or it's going to cause them to be convicted and to soften themselves. Uh, Case in point, someone will ask from time to time, uh, just in private conversation, especially someone that's maybe a new believer, they'll say they'll read in uh, about Exodus and about the Israelites leaving. Why did God harden Pharaoh's heart, and uh, why did God cause that to happen? Didn't He want them to go free? And the reality is, is that uh, God did not cause Pharaoh's heart to harden. God simply revealed Himself to Pharaoh. Uh, and the, consider the the same the same son uh, that. Melts butter, hardens concrete, Uh, and so it's it's our response. It's not that God dictated this evil; it is that it's it's upon how do I respond to the Lord whenever He brought things to bear in my life, Uh, and so and we see that played out in the Book of Jeremiah, which is much later in the history of the nation of Israel. And so uh, he is giving this testimony of not being married. uh, And there are a lot of things that go along with the wedding, the, the joy, the anticipation, the planning. Uh, the all of the good things that come and then uh, the fruitfulness of children and uh, and the things that come as a result of God's design for the family uh, and we see all of that bear out and so that's kind of his introduction here as he's laying this out and then when we get to verse number nine and he says this for thus saith the Lord of hosts the God of Israel behold I will cause to cease out of this place in your eyes and your days the voice of mirth, and the voice of gladness, and the voice of the bridegroom, and the voice of the bride. And it shall come to pass, when thou shalt show this people all these words, that they shall say unto thee, Wherefore hath the Lord pronounced all this great evil against us? Or what is our iniquity? Or what is our sin that we have committed against the Lord our God? Then shalt thou say unto them, Because your fathers have forsaken me, saith the Lord, And have walked after other gods, and have served them, and have worshipped them, and have forsaken me, and have not kept my law. And ye have done worse than your fathers. For behold, ye walk every one after the imagination of his evil heart, that they may not hearken unto me. Therefore I will cast you out of this land, into the land that ye know not. Neither ye nor your fathers, and there shall ye serve other gods day and night where I will not show you favor. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that it shall no more be said, The Lord liveth, that, is, that brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. But the Lord liveth that brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north, and from all the lands of whither he hath driven them. And I will bring them again into their land that I have given that I gave them to their fathers. Behold, I will send for many fishers, saith the Lord, and they shall fish them. And after, I will send for many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain, from every hill, and out of the holes of the rocks. For mine eyes are upon all their ways, they are not hid from my face, neither is their iniquity hid from mine eyes. At first I will recompense their iniquity and their sin double, because they have defiled my land, and they have filled my inheritance with the carcasses of their detestable and abominable things." O Lord, my strength and my fortress and my refuge in the day of affliction. The Gentiles shall come unto thee from the ends of the earth and shall say, Surely our fathers have inherited lies, vanity, and things wherein there is no profit. Shall a man make gods unto himself, and they are no gods? Therefore, behold, I will this once cause them to know. I will cause them to know mine hand and my might, and they shall know. That my name is the Lord. And I want to speak to you this morning on this thought, I will cause them to know. Let's pray. Father, again, we come to you. We thank you for your word and its power. We rely upon you now, Holy Spirit of God, to speak and communicate to our hearts and to our spirits, to convict us of our sin, to mold us into the image of our Savior. Lord, to have us become exactly who you need us to be, that you might bring an opportunity for revival in our land. And what I pray that your will would be done in each and every life this morning. In Jesus' name and amen. So as we look here, there's a, a, a pattern that has emerged throughout history. And what you see, you see it really... In the book of Judges, it's very pronounced. It's in a very kind of a tight circle. So it's a little bit easier sometimes to see uh, where we sin. And in the book of Judges, Israel would sin. uh, And then God would cause an invader to come and to take them into captivity and oppression uh, and slavery at times. Uh, Then they uh, they would cry out to God for deliverance then God would send a judge and that judge would preach repentance and then they repented and they turned from their sin back to God. Then God would give them a military victory and that would be followed by peace. Peace always in our Christian life tends to uh, bring kind of a lackadaisical approach to life. Uh, When we, uh, you can look at the same thing with coronavirus. The, The longer that it goes on, And uh, you saw it even in our church a lot of times early on everybody was real careful and then everybody kind of let their guard down and then two or three of us got afflicted with it and then uh, everybody kind of got real serious about it again. Uh, And then, you know, it's just that cycle is going to continue to repeat itself. I mean, you can kind of see that whenever you look around. We let our guard down and and it's just something that we have to learn to live with. But sin is the same way. Uh, When God brings peace, when we have peace in our Christian life, when we have God's blessing in our Christian life, when we have uh, all of those things, then we tend to let our guard down. We get a little bit lazy in our walk with God and, and, our, and our reading of His Word and our spending time in prayer with Him and our service to Him. Uh, it gets easy to just kind of drift away from that. Uh, and then uh, God does things to kind of get our attention and to cause us to respond back to Him. At which point we have to make a decision. Am I going to uh, continue away from the Lord or am I going to allow him to draw me back to himself. And you see that cycle here. Now at this particular point in Israel's history, and you've seen it all throughout the kingdom age, you've seen it uh, and we will continue to see it until the Lord comes back for his church. Uh, But at this particular point in time, uh, they're at a time of crisis where uh, sin has come to such a powerful place in their society and their culture that God is no longer willing to allow it to go unpunished. And so God does so not out of cruelty, but out of resetting the order uh, and gives an opportunity for them uh, to repent and to return. So Jeremiah is called and Jeremiah is given specific messages from God to preach, And they're blunt. They're very direct. And we see that uh, in the text. And, uh, and Jeremiah is preaching to them about this coming judgment. Uh, and he's, he's stressing to them the, the progression generationally of sin. And again, you know, sometimes we get into a mode where, you know, the older preacher gets up and it's always this younger generation, this and younger generation that. And I think that with the technology of our age, that's really prevalent today. And uh, and sometimes we're all guilty of that. But the reality is is that this is nothing new. And the, the sins of the young generation are a result of the sins of the older generation. None of us are without sin. None of us are without fault. And you see that played out here. And they've progressed to a point where their fathers sinned heard the prophets, sometimes they repented and responded and there was revival and at other times they hardened themselves and they would go off into deeper sin until God brought some judgment uh, to draw them back. Uh, and then you see manifested in their life the fact that they actually knew and understood when the prophet preached that what we've been engaged in in worshiping of idols and in uh, going against the things that God has given us, uh, they understood that they had sinned against God. So when the prophet preached, uh, they understood and knew that they, that they were in the wrong. But this generation in Jeremiah doesn't understand that. This generation in Jeremiah uh, says, where's our sin? What is it that we've done? Why are you, Jeremiah, why is God bringing this message of... Destruction and dispersion, uh, removing us from our homeland and scattering us across the world. Why is God bringing that? Where is our error? Notice he says uh, in in verse number 10, uh, And it shall come to pass, when thou shalt show this people all these words, that they shall say unto thee, Wherefore hath the Lord pronounced all this great evil against us? Or what is our iniquity? What is our sin that we have committed against the Lord our God? And I think that you can look and draw a lot of parallels in our in our world today, especially in our country. In our country for uh, the last, you know, most of the last 200 years has been a beacon of light on behalf of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to the world around us. Before the United States, it was England. It was England that sent missionaries around the world. It was the na- that nation that, uh, and sin came in, and sin destroyed the work of God and then God passed that, that blessing of being the beacon of the world from England clearly to the United States uh, where the United States is the great sender and propagator of missions around the world and uh, and that's diminishing it's getting more and more difficult to find uh, quality missionaries to, to support on the field it's getting very difficult to find some going to certain parts of the world and uh, I know because I've looked I've searched out and so uh, it's, it's very difficult right now to find missionaries that are going to Europe Uh, you can find plenty that are going to the far east you can find a lot that are going to central and south America but it's hard to find someone that's willing to go into Europe and and into those parts of the world where uh, 20 years ago missionaries to that part of the world were abundant Uh, and so when we look at here what we see is that they're having a problem understanding that what they do is sin now look at our culture around us today uh, you look at the world around us today uh, and we have we have regressed to a place where the culture at large calls that which is evil good and that which is good evil there are things in, in morality moral issues uh, and just uh, what to, you know, to many uh, that are 50 and older were just common accepted and common sense morality uh, positions now are rejected and rebuffed and mocked and ridiculed. Uh, if you stand what, on what God says and what God sets forth in his plan for the family and his plan for uh, physical intimacy and relationship with a husband and a wife, uh, if, you, uh, if you take a stand on any of those things in this current culture and climate in our country, then you are canceled. And so it is not conducive to uh, to exist in this culture and be thought well of uh, if you stand for Bible truth. Now, I, I say that this morning not blaming the young generation for where we are but blaming those of us that are 50 and older that sit here that did not live in such a way and with the power of God in our lives sufficient to cause people to be inspired to repent of their sin and serve God rather than to be inspired to turn away and to just follow what the world says. How many times I catch myself saying this sometimes and I try I try to not allow myself to do it but I do it often we say I feel this about something. This is what I feel about it. You take a, a passage of scripture, even well, I feel that the Bible says this here. May I say this morning, and I'm going to say this bluntly, but I don't mean it to be ugly, uh, that I, but I don't want to be misunderstood, that it really doesn't matter what I feel, and it doesn't matter what you feel. Amen. It matters what God said, Amen. and it matters what God intended. Amen. And so we have to get a mindset where we stop trying to interpret good and evil, right and wrong, uh, what's going on culturally in our nation and around the world, and even how we interpret the Bible when we read it into ourself, uh, to realize that it really doesn't matter how I feel about it. What matters is what God said, because what God said is what is going to come to pass. And so Jeremiah is preaching that message, and that message is no more popular in his time Than it is in our time. As a matter of fact, Jeremiah would pay a high price for being faithful to preach the message that God gave him to preach. They would take him and they would put him in a pit. They wanted to kill him. At one point they took and they put him in the stocks. Now I understand what stocks are but I, I fear sometimes that I just kind of say things like that and we have a lot of young people in the auditorium that really don't understand what that is uh, and the stocks were those old wooden things out in front of the town in the town square where they put your head and your hands through uh, and close the lid down over you and you had to spend so many hours or days out there uh, in the stocks and either your feet were shackled or your arms and your head were stuck in these things called the stocks as a method of punishment for your crime uh, and and things of that nature. And, you know, so they're going through this process and and they really don't understand uh, what they've done that's wrong. Notice that Jeremiah gives them a history lesson so that they can understand. And in verse number 12, and ye have done, uh, or in verse 11, thou shalt say unto them, because your fathers have forsaken me, saith the Lord, and have walked after other gods, See, they're walking after other gods as well. They just don't understand that it's wrong. It's not that they're doing something that's different than their fathers. They're just doing it more excessively, and they don't understand that they're, that there's wrongdoing. You've walked after other gods and have served them and have worshipped them and have forsaken me and have not kept my law. So they've followed other gods. They've forsaken the true and living God, and they have abandoned following His principles that he set forth uh, of governance and behavior in the word of God. And ye have done worse than your fathers. So now he's telling them that you've done what your fathers have done. This is what was wrong and you're even worse. And this is why. For behold, you walk everyone after the imagination of his evil heart. They have gotten to a point where every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Where everything is justified uh, and, and put it in, in, you know, kind of today's terms, uh, everyone uh, lived their own truth. Everyone spoke their own truth. How many times do you hear a celebrity talking about, uh, you know, uh, speak your truth? Listen, there is no your truth and my truth and that person's truth and this, uh, this group's truth or, or that group's truth. There is only God's truth truth is not negotiable truth real truth has not changing uh, the problem with your truth and my truth and the world's truth is that it changes from one month to the next from one day to the next uh, and you can't really hardly even keep it's changing so fast right now you can't even keep up with what uh, the limitations or the expectations are uh, and it's continually morphing but god is the same yesterday today and forever it's a truth to be depended upon it is a truth that's unchanging god's truth is absolute, and we will all give an account uh, to how we responded to the truth of God. Now, they followed their heart. How many times do you hear? I mean, for the last five generations, all you've heard in culture and movies and music and the whole nine yards is just follow your heart. Uh, you follow your heart. Listen, the heart uh, is going to lead you to down a path of destruction, because the heart is wicked, and he tells them that here that your heart, Pastor, you say, "My heart's wicked." I didn't say it; God said it. And so, my heart is included in that too. I have a wicked heart apart from God. Notice Jeremiah chapter seventeen and verses nine and ten: "The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I can't even know my own heart. My own heart will deceive me." because my own heart knows what I want and it will justify me getting what I want and not feeling guilty about it, even if that means as a Christian spiritualizing it so that I can not feel convicted about it in my heart. I, the Lord, search the heart in verse 10. I try the reins even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. And so we look here at God pronouncing judgment but God is not pronouncing judgment without mercy. And what you see always is God lays out, this is righteous and this is unrighteous, this is holy and this is unholy, this is right and this is wrong. As he makes the, 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 draws the line in the sand, if you will, and says, this is what's going to happen, there's always an opportunity to repent and to come to Christ. There's, an, there's always a repentance to stave off that coming judgment. Matthew Henry, the great commentator of the 1600s, says there is a mixture of mercy and judgment in, this, in these verses, and it's hard to know which to apply to some of the passages here. They are interwoven, and some of them seem to look so far ahead as to look to the Gospels. God's mercy, God's opportunity for restoration, God's opportunity to not face this uh, incredibly difficult judgment is offered but rejected. Matthew Henry also said need drives many to God who had set themselves at, distance, at a distance from Him. See, whenever we know that we're in the wrong we, I can always tell whenever there's somebody in the church that's, that's like got something that's going on in their life that they're afraid that as the pastor, I'm going to say, hey, you need to think about that uh, because they avoid me. I can just I can just tell. I and mean, it's just like I'm walking in one door and so they were headed that way. They turn around real quick and go the other way. Sometimes I'm, I feel like I want to just like meet them on the other side as they come around the corner like I'm playing hide-and-go-seek with a, one of my grandkids or something. Uh, you know, I've been at times where, uh, and this hasn't happened to me here, but where uh, there was a particular lady in my church and, and she wanted to do something, but she didn't want to, she, just, she didn't want to do what was necessary to be able to, to do the role or fulfill the role or take the place in the church that she wanted to take. Uh, and so there were specific guidelines that she had to meet and she wasn't willing to do it. And she'd argue with me uh, for, for, you know, as long as I would allow her to uh, about how uh, she didn't feel it was wrong or it was she was guilty about it uh, or, or whatever. And so and then I'd see her in public. And if she was engaged in that activity, she would turn and go the other way. And my thought was just simply this, if you really in your heart believe that you're not in the wrong, then why are you hiding from me? You don't have to answer to me. I'm just a man. I'm just, I may be your pastor and I may be here to help guide you. And I might on rare occasion uh, feel moved to the Lord to pull you aside and say, hey, uh, listen, you need to think about what you're doing here. But my job is not to enforce and impose God's law on you. My job is to present the truth. And what you do with it is completely up to you and the Lord. And I'll love you, whatever you choose. Try to help you, whatever you choose. Uh, and so, but the reality is, is that uh, you know I'm not God's police officer. Uh, I'm just simply a proclaimer of His word. And I'll try to lead and give guidance and assistance where I can. Uh, but uh, but we need to be understanding that we must follow the word of God. And when God allows judgment to begin to fall, we need to realize what God's trying to do is draw us to Him. Because need drives many to God who had set themselves at a distance from Him. Jeremiah set out to the purpose that they might know God's judgment and mercy. One thing about God, God never wants us to go through anything without having an opportunity to know what and why and how it's coming. And we don't always want to listen and we're not always willing to uh, accept it. But the The power of God and the person of God brings about God's will. Again, Matthew Henry stated, As his omniscience convicts them, his justice condemns them. You know, if you get around someone that is, uh, you know, righteous and lives for God, and I don't mean self-righteous and pompous, I mean someone that truly... You can just sense God is with them whenever you walk into their presence. It's amazing how when you walk into that person's presence without them ever saying a word, you just automatically seem reminded and feel guilty about all the things in your life that you know are sinful. And you can have a conversation and none of those things ever be addressed. But still, I don't know if that happens to you, but it happens to me sometimes. And so God is dealing with this and Jeremiah is preaching it. Now in verses 14 and 15, he states here that there's going to be suffering in captivity. If you don't repent, Israel, then God is going to send an invading army and you're going to be scattered across the world. Now, this particular dispersion of the Jews is the dispersion that sent them into Russia and into Europe and and across the world. It's the regathering that's talked about here is the regathering that began uh, after uh, the end of World War II and the Holocaust. And so that's still going on today. That's still taking place today. Uh, and so uh, they're still being reassembled by God, and and He states here in verses 14 and 15 that the suffering of the captivity will exceed the suffering in Egypt. And you understand? They were slaves in Egypt for over 400 years. They built the pyramids as slaves. It was the Jews, the Israelites, as slaves in Egypt that built the pyramids. They were in hard bondage. They were not treated kindly. They were not simple household servants. They were treated brutally. And he says to them that your judgment is going to be far worse. It is going to exceed what you experienced as a nation those many years ago in Egypt. And truly, when you look back at the Holocaust, it's not hard to see that they did, that that has already been fulfilled. That prophecy has come to pass. And so we look at this here and he says that so as that was so, so will your regathering after the dispersion exceed the glory of the exodus. The departure from Egypt. And again that continues. In verse 16 he says, I will send for many fishers. And now we begin to see uh, more clearly this mercy kind of interwoven. So he's telling them you've got sin in your life. You don't even understand that it's sin. I'm setting the record straight so that you fully understand. And God has said that if you do not repent of that sin, that this judgment is going to befall you. But that's not what God wants for you. That's not what God has designed for you. What God wants is for you to repent and return to Him. He wants you to forsake the false gods that you worship. He wants you to forsake uh, the corrupt ways in which you live. And He wants you to return to a personal relationship with your Father. He doesn't want us divided. And then he tells them how he wants to go about bringing them around. Notice in verse 16, Behold, I will send for many fishers, saith the Lord, and they shall fish them. Here in the fishers we see the mercy. So why do you say that, Pastor? Well, Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The reaching out, the carrying of the gospel to the lost world is demonstrated uh, in the New Testament as how Jesus refers to us as Fishing, fishing uh, for men, fishing for souls. And when we see those fishermen here in the book of Jeremiah, they are a picture of the mercy of God. God proclaimed the message. He proclaimed righteousness. He proclaimed holiness. He proclaimed judgment. But he said, I'm going to send men to try to draw you back to me so you can avoid it. And that's what we see in the prophet Jeremiah. Then he said, and after I will send for many hunters. And they shall hunt them from every mountain and from every hill and out of the holes in the rocks. After God gives an opportunity for repentance, when it's rejected, comes judgment. And when judgment begins, judgment does not cease until it's run its course. Up until the point of the beginning of judgment, there's an opportunity to repent and to avoid. But once God pulls the trigger on judgment... There's no amount of repenting that's going to stop it until it's run its course. Until it's accomplished what God has set forth for it to accomplish. And so he says, I'm going to send fishers to you. But if you don't come back to me, then I'm going to send the hunters. Verses 17 and 18. He says, I know your sin. You may fool yourself about it. The world may fool itself about it. But I know it. You can't hide it from me. God says in verse 17 and 18, For mine eyes are upon all their ways, and they are not hid from my face, neither is their iniquity hid from mine eyes. And first I will recompense their iniquity and their sin double. Now, he's not saying that he's going to double his intended punishment upon them what he's saying is you've got it reconciled in your mind that if you do this this is what I'm going to do but what your expectation is uh, what I'm actually bringing is twice what your expectation is you're expecting a slap on the wrist and I'm talking about a major bringing of judgment and so he lays that out there because this is why you've defiled my land you filled mine inheritance with the carcasses of detestable and abominable things. Now let's consider things that are going on. If you look right now in our, I, I, you know, there are things that happen. The Bible in the New Testament very clearly states uh, that that at times one of the ways that God brings judgment is through natural events, natural occurrences, disasters. I am not have never been inclined to say that this disaster is God's judgment for this specific event. But I also believe that it's foolish for us to just write them off as there's no way that they were. Even someone that's as vile and corrupt as the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, came out this week and said, Mother Earth is angry. May I say to you this morning that that wicked God, Mother Earth, is no God at all? But there is a very real possibility that the God of heaven is angry at our sin. And we need to realize that God hates sin. And he's done everything that can be done to reconcile us from it. In verse 19 he begins to express that after explaining their conditions, hope is offered. Now what are the conditions here? Notice in verse number 19, he says, O Lord, my strength and my fortress and my refuge in the day of affliction, the Gentiles shall come unto thee from the ends of the earth and shall say, surely our fathers have inherited lies, vanity, and things wherein there is no profit. So what are we talking about here? Lies, the lies of idolatry. Their sin primarily is the sin of idolatry. They are worshipping false gods. Now I... I doubt if there's anybody here this morning that would uh, have a, an actual carved out idol in your, in your house or the corner of your living room uh, that you bow down and pray to. I have had people over the years that, that do have that. We've had you know young people in our uh, in our school. Whenever I was pastoring in another state, that uh, they they were from an eastern country and they let their children come to the school, uh, pretty little girls and uh, sweet little girls, and they came home singing "Jesus Loves Me" and it wasn't really a problem. But when we went to their home and visited, they had their altar and their idols in the corner that they prayed to as well. Uh, and and the, here's the the great sin here with Israel, they added the other gods to their worship of God. We don't have time this morning, but if we were to go back and look at early Isaiah, you see that Israel is still offering their sacrifices that God had commanded them through Moses. They're still doing worship in the same practice that they had been commanded to worship God. They had not stopped with the mo- going through the motions of worshiping their God. They simply added going up to the high places and worshiping the gods of the culture as well. You see that today, missionaries that go to eastern countries, whenever they begin to preach Christ, if they're not careful and they don't understand the culture that they're in, what they experience is a high response to accepting Christ. But then they realize that, that these people are just adding Jesus to their collection of gods. And you almost get to the point in that realm where you have to help people understand that the acceptance of Christ is a renunciation of everything else. And so uh, that's their problem. They're still going through the motions of religion. And so their great sin is the lies of idolatry that God can be added to all of our other gods. Now, we have all kinds of gods. Some, for a lot of people, their own self is their God. They worship themselves. They just do what pleases them. For others, their God may be their family or their job or uh, or their hobby or their or, or a sport. I mean, I wonder how many people today uh, that are usually faithful to church will stay home to watch their favorite NFL team. Uh, and listen, I'm a football fan. I have a team. I have a game. I'll watch it uh, later tonight. Uh, but I'm not going to avoid worshiping God to do so. I'll, I'll God's first. And then, uh, you know, it used to be I just missed the game. Now we've got the luxury of uh, DVRs and TiVos and things like that uh, so that we can record them and watch them later. Uh, and that's one of the benefits of this current age. But, but how many will put things in front of God? And essentially an idol is that. It's anything that I put ahead of God in my life. And then the vanity of religion. Pastor, we're sitting in a church and you're saying that religion is vain, it's empty, it's hollow, it's meaningless. Yes, religion is one of the most corrupt things that's ever been brought to the face of the earth because religion convinces people that if you do these deeds, then, you'll find, then you make atonement for your sin uh, and you'll get to be good enough and you'll learn how to be good enough to go to heaven when you die. And that is the opposite of what God says is the path to, G- to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's no other way to Jesus but God. There was a... a, a pastor that is a leader of one of the bigger churches involved with a a pretty well known worship group that's based out of Australia that came out and was interviewed this weekend Uh, and in his interview refused to say and Mac I think his point of fact he said that there were many ways there are are other ways uh, to God than just Jesus. Jesus wasn't the only way but Jesus is the only way. And he's not the only way because our church says so or because I think so. He's the only way because he said he was the only way. Because the Bible says he's the only way and religion condemns people to hell and it gives people a false sense of security and there's not anything about the Christian life that's religious it is a relationship with the one who gave himself for our sin and what we seek here and what I preach to you here week in and week out is not the coming together for the sake of uh, being religious it is the opposite it's coming together that uh, that we might grow in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ we look here and we see the vanity of religion and then the unprofitableness of the work of work without faith. We're to live by faith. And living by faith doesn't mean living an impoverished life. There's much wisdom, and God says much about laying up for the next generation as far as, uh, as uh, leaving an inheritance for our children and doing things and planning for retirement. Uh, to, you know, Really, when you understand the scripture, to not do so is not living by faith unless that's what God specifically has ordained you to do. It's tempting God. And so we're talking about living a life of faith. It's simply doing what God instructs you to do before you know what the outcome is going to be. And then he brings hope in verse 21. Therefore, behold, I will this once cause them to know. I will cause them to know my hand and my might, and they shall know that my name is the Lord. And we've got about 15 minutes or so left, and so I'm going to have to give you basically the bulk of the message quickly, but I needed to lay the groundwork this morning. What is he talking about here? I will cause them to know. I will cause them to know my hand and my might. And they shall know that my name is the Lord. That's the point of all of this that God is stating to them. The point of the judgment, the point of repentance, the point of coming together, it's that we might know. And so God says to them that you might know. So first of all, this morning, consider that I will cause them to know. It's a wonderful thing that the Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13. That these things have I written unto you that ye may know that ye have eternal life. And that thou believe in the name of the Son of God. And that ye may know that ye have eternal life. And that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. May I say to you this morning that Jesus Christ did not say you've got all this sin in your life. And with all that sin, you're going to die and go to hell. And that's what I chose for you. We did, God didn't choose that for us. We chose that for us. God never intended for sin to come into the picture. But when man chose to abandon God and, and embrace sin, it brought with it a curse upon the earth. The reason that we have sickness today is because of sin. Not because God wanted it. The reason that we have to endure death is because of sin. The reason that we have all of the difficulties in life is because of sin. That was never designed by God. It's simply a natural result of what our sin has caused and what it's brought upon us. God, in his love for us, said, I want to make a way for you to return to me. Your sin will bring about death, but my love will bring about life. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and beginning in verse 10, he says, For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect, by reason of the glory that excelleth. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. Seeing that when we have such an hope, we use great plainness of speech. In other words, the Apostle Paul says, Seeing that we have such hope, we're very blunt about our condition and about the message of God. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look on the end of that which is abolished. But their minds were blinded. For until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. In chapter 4, verses 3 through 5, in the same uh, book, he says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, Lest the light of this glorious gospel of Christ, which is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. So what's he saying here? He's saying, listen, you have been uh, the, the people as a whole have been blinded from the truth. And listen, it's not hard to look today and see. People are blinded to the truth. Christians are blinded to the truth that our sin uh, is is somehow not as big of a deal as the sins of the world. In other words, if I'm the, that person that goes out and creates something that even, uh, even people in the normal world would say, man, that's a horrible, evil thing. That this person did uh, and somehow we think that our sin within the church whether it be uh, disunity or backbiting or gossiping or other things of that nature when we do those types of things well that's not as big of a deal. There's no difference. And that's really the point of what he's saying here you can classify sin in all different kinds of ways but ultimately sin is sin and it brings God's judgment and it causes God's work to be uh, hindered and God is laying it out here and he's saying listen I want to set you free from that don't be blinded to it and he gave that example of Moses at one point Moses came down and had such a glow of being around God uh, that he had to put a veil over his face and then God when he ordered the building of the tabernacle and later the temple there was a veil in between the holy place and the holy of holy places where God dwelt. Uh, and when Jesus was crucified on the cross, that veil was torn in two because when Jesus died, there was no more division. There was nothing left to separate man from God. Listen, you don't need uh, a, a priest to intercede on your behalf for God because you can bec- become boldly before the throne of grace on your own. Uh, I, I Listen, I praise the Lord that God's given us pastors and, and teachers and, and, and those things to help guide us. But the truth of the matter is, uh, is that I can go directly to God at any time because He's my Father. That veil is gone. And we don't have anything separating us. That veil that blinds if we would allow the Spirit of God to remove it and we could see clearly the Word of God, God would illuminate to our eyes. And so what we see here is God says, I'm going to cause you to know. What's He going to cause us to know? Well, the first thing it starts off with throughout this whole passage, God's causing them to know their condition. I have to understand my condition. And I'm just saying this morning, if you're here and you have, and you may be a, a great person, and most people that will spend an eternity in hell are not going to spend an eternity in hell there because they are horrible, wicked sinners and people. They're going to spend an eternity in hell there being good people, having lived good lives, not because God is cruel, but because they did not understand that it's not about being good. It is about trusting Jesus. Amen. I can't be good enough there's not anything that I can do for a lifetime that can pay for the sin that I've already committed if I could start right now at, at 53 years of age and never commit another sin in my life then I could never still do enough to avoid deserving to go to hell because God is perfect and God is holy and God is righteous. And to let that in, if I uh, were to take one glass of water up here this morning and it was clear and pristine and dump uh, half a cup of oil in it and everybody saw how black it is, everybody would say, ooh, that's gross, I'm not going to partake of that. But if I put one drop of clear arsenic in it, it would kill you. It was more deadly than the darkest of, uh, of other pollutants that could be in it. Now, that one drop would kill me. Most of us would just take it because it looked good. That one sin cannot come into heaven unpaid for. And God's righteousness and God's holiness cannot be compromised. And they need not be compromised. Because he sent his son Jesus Christ to Calvary's cross. And he said as he was on the cross, as he suffered the beating and as he suffered the nails and as he suffered the pierced side and as he suffered the ridicule and the shame. As he suffered the wrath of Almighty God upon him as our sin, God punishing our sin on his own son, and unleashing all of that wrath, God in his love said, this I've done for you. The Bible tells us that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Amen. It is not the will of God for anyone to die without Christ. It is not the will of God for anyone to spend an eternity separated from God in hell. But the reality is is that it's not about being good or being bad. It's about did I... Did I recognize my condition? Did I realize that I am a sinner? Did I realize that my sin has separated me from God? And did I realize that God in his mercy has sent a fisher to me to rescue me, to give me opportunity to repent of my sin, to put my faith and trust in the one that has paid the debt for my sin, so that his righteousness, the New Testament says, can be imputed to me. That means that his righteousness is put on my account. It's like if someone were to walk in and and to your mortgage company today and say, uh, I'm going to take my money and I'm going to pay their debt off. And you didn't do anything to earn it. You didn't ask for it. You didn't even know it was going to be done in that case. But they come in and they took their money and they had it put on your account. Jesus takes his righteousness And if we'll repent of our sin and accept him as our Savior, and he puts it on our account. So when we walk into heaven, God doesn't look at us in our sin. God looks at the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Because when I put my faith and trust in him, the Bible says I am born again. I am born into the family of God. I am no longer a stranger on the outside looking in. I am a born, natural born son of God. That's why we use the term born again. He brings hope. I will cause them to know their condition. He'll cause us to know the consequence. The consequence is separation from God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 for the wages of sin is death. The death of this spirit in me. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He wants to give you the gift of eternal life this morning. I will cause them to know. Secondly he said I will cause them to know that my hand and my might I will cause them to know my hand, and my might. In Psalm 16, the Bible states something about the right hand of God, and uh, there's a great distinction even in the in today, uh, even today in 2020. If you were to go to the Middle East, in particular, there is a very distinct uh, thing about the left and the right hand. And in Psalm 16. Uh, in verse number 11 he says Thou will show me the path of life In thy presence of fullness of joy At thy right hand there are pleasures Forevermore Psalm 17 in verse 7 He says show thy marvelous loving kindness O thou savest by the right hand Them which put their trust in thee From those that rise up against them The right hand You know whenever our troops went into uh, to Baghdad And one of the things that they learned was that uh, anytime that things went on there, the, the distinction between the left and the right hand. The right hand is for eating. The left hand is for cleaning. I'll let your imagination figure the rest of that out. And so, any time that they would do something, the way, if if you wave at someone in the Middle East with your left hand, that's an insult. If you're in a military situation and you salute with your left hand, that's an insult because the left hand is associated with that which is dirty or that which is corrupt or that which wields judgment the right hand is that which is mercy and that which is peace and that which is good god says i will cause them to know my hand and my might. i will cause them to know that i can be merciful or that i can bring judgment but the choice is theirs i used to tell i ran a boys home for I mean, our church folks know this, but we have a number of guests here today. Uh, before I was a pastor, for five years, I ran a boy's home. There's discipline problems and problem teenage boys. And, uh, and one of the things that I would tell them, uh, one, of the, one, of the day, one of them came in and said, are you having a good day today, Brother Dave? And I said, I have a good day every day because you're not going to determine whether or not I have a good day. I might determine whether or not you have a good day, but you're not going to determine whether or not I have a good day. In other words, what I was saying to them is if you, if you do what you're supposed to do, you're going to have a great day. And you'll think, and I would tell guys when I interviewed them before we, they were accepted this a lot of times, I would say if you, if you do what I ask you to do, you'll think I am the nicest, greatest thing since sliced bread. I'll feed you good. We'll do fun things. We'll we play a lot of basketball. We go up hikes up in the mountain, hike back to waterfalls, do things like that. But if you don't, then I will, you'll hate me. But the choice is yours. You know, a lot of times that's the same way with God. God has a hand of judgment. God has a hand of blessing. And it's for us to choose. What will we choose this morning? In Jeremiah, Israel chose judgment. And now there are other places where they chose repentance. But here they choose judgment. But he says, I will cause them to know. I can destroy or I can save. I have my hand, uh, the left is destruction, the right is mercy, and my might. To destroy, I have power to destroy, I have power to save. And then lastly this morning, they shall know that my name is the Lord. He is the Lord. The Bible tells us very clearly in Philippians chapter 2 and verses 9 through 11. Not that I speak, excuse me, chapter 4. Here we go. Wherefore God has also highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, and things in the earth, and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. May I say to you this morning that He says, you will know that my name is the Lord. Two thoughts about this. First of all, whether I accept him or I reject him, he is my sovereign. He is the king of of this universe. He's the king of heaven. And he is sovereign. And whether I like it or not, whether I accept it or not, I can't change that fact. And there will come a time where my knee will bow before him. And where I will confess that he is God. If I choose to do that now, he'll give me eternal life. If I reject him and die before I'm forever cast into the lake of fire, I will bow and I will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is king. He is my sovereign. It's not negotiable. It's not debatable. If you understand the Bible... You can reject the Bible, but that doesn't, mean, that doesn't change your fate. So, Pastor, that's not my truth. I don't believe that. It. it doesn't matter. It's God's truth. And the reality is, is that I don't have to like. Uh, <laughs> when I was in the military, I had this captain to come in, and he would always make us do something that, you know, he knew we weren't liking. He could tell by our reaction when he told us what we had to do that we did not want to do it. And then he'd look at us sometimes, and he'd say, you don't have to like it. You just have to do it. I don't have to like everything that the Bible tells me. But I better understand that God is God. And so when we look and we understand, I will cause them to know that I am the Lord. He's saying, I am going to cause you to know. I will do what is necessary to make you understand that I am the king of everything. But better than that. He says, I will cause you to know that I can be your Savior. I want to cause you to know that if you'll recognize your condition, you're a sinner without Christ, or you're a Christian with sin problems in your life that you've justified. If, and I'm in the same boat as everybody else here. If I acknowledge that and I repent of that, my relationship can be restored and my relationship can begin. If you're here this morning, you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you'd be willing to realize that he is the Son of God and he gave himself to pay your sin penalty so that his righteousness could be laid to your account. And if you'll turn from your sin and accept him as your Savior today, you can be born into his family and he will give you the gift of eternal life. That's what he wants to do. That's why he suffered. The Bible says in Hebrews, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. You're the joy that was set before him. In other words, while he was suffering on the cross, he had your face in his mind. He loves us. But his love cannot excuse our sin. It had to be paid for, and he's done that. And he's saying, if you'll just trust me, if you'll believe me, if you'll repent and turn to me, I will give you eternal life. I will be your Savior. But if not... No matter how convinced one may be that they found a Savior somewhere else. When it's all said and done, they're going to be brought face to face before their sovereign. And every knee will bow. And every tongue will, you understand, Satan will be forced to kneel before Jesus Christ and confess that he is God. Don't think that you or I will escape. It's far better to choose to kneel before him now and become his son and accept his power and blessing than it is to reject him and kneel before I'm cast forever into an eternal lake of fire. That's our choice this morning. Israel, listen, I'm not trying to be ugly this morning, but the reality here is, is that they had a choice. You can either repent of your sin Or these nations are going to come and they're going to scatter you all over the world. Now understand here, for hundreds of years they were scattered. And until over six million died in the Holocaust between 1939 and 1945, God did not begin to reassemble them. And the reassembling is still occurring. But this passage of scripture is being fulfilled before our very eyes. What say you this morning. If you're here and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, I beg of you this morning, don't leave without getting that settled in your heart because He wants you above anything else in this life to know that He loves you, that He died for you, that your sins are paid for and if you'll ask and accept His gift, He will forgive them and give you eternal life. A Christian hiding behind My sin's not as big as that other person's sin, or the world's sin, or it's not as corrupt, or it's not as evil. May I remind us that those little things, those things that we think of as little sins are what has led us to the condition that we're in as a society and as a culture. I can't blame, as someone that understands the Bible, the condition of our national state upon the world. It is what Satan has set out to do since the beginning. The blame lies with the church. The blame lies with believers that have not lived in such a way that people were inspired to give their lives to Christ. Would you, Christian, live a life that's inspired? Would you live a life that inspires others to know the God that you know? He loves you. I'm glad he loves me. I'm glad that whenever I sin, I can go to him and confess it and he forgives me. I'm glad that my father is waiting for me to come and say, Dad, I messed up and I want my relationship with you fixed. I want that fellowship back. But it starts with birth. Have you been born again this morning? If you haven't, in just a moment, we're going to have what we call here an invitation. The piano is going to play. We're going to stand. We're going to bow our heads and we're going to close our eyes. And I'm just going to invite folks to If God's spoken to you to come, so what do I do? No one's going to be looking around. No one's going to hold you hostage or try to twist your arm into something that you don't want to do. But if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, I would ask you to come and meet me here in the front. And this is what I'm going to do. I'm just going to simply have someone take you to a different room right here close to the auditorium. So that they can open the Bible and they can show you how God has told us in his word that you can have without any doubt eternal life. There's nothing in this life more important than getting that settled. There's no need to fear. There's no need to be embarrassed. And I promise you no one's going to twist your arm. But we're going to present the truth. And then you have to make a decision. If you're a Christian and you're here and you'd say, Pastor, there's things in my life that I know. To the world may not look like a big deal, but I can understand how it hinders God's working in us place. I would hate for my sin as a Christian to hinder the Spirit's ability to bring conviction to someone that might be here that doesn't know Jesus as our Savior. I can get that settled. I can get that right with God. You don't have to talk to me. You can just come up here and pray and talk to God. You don't need me. There's, there's no... There, there's no you know, confession booth in the Bible. We don't have to go to a man. We can go straight to him. Go straight to him. And tell him, Lord, I know. I know that you're God. I know you're my sovereign. I want you to be my Savior. Thank you for being my Savior. And thank you for making me know my place, my condition, and my opportunities to live a life that brings you honor and glory. Father, thank you for the time together this morning. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts during this invitation. I pray that you would give us the courage, if you've spoken to us, to step out. I pray that you would move. Lord, if there's anyone here that's never trusted you as our Savior, I pray that today, Holy Spirit, they would be unable to escape the conviction of your power.